everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Greg Innocencio. Greg and I are going to be discussing the deadlift. So many of you probably saw on Instagram a few months ago, I really tweaked my back. Greg was the first guy that I went to about it. And uh, six weeks later, roughly, I was back doing everything that I wanted to do, deadlifting, single leg squat, all that sort of thing. So uh, I felt like Greg was the guy for this. Greg is also former Maryland Strongest Man and Delaware Strongest Man, as we mentioned uh, in the episode. So I feel like his ability to deadlift over 800 pounds, in addition to his experience as a clinician and a strength coach, makes him the perfect person for this episode. I know you're going to love it today. Enjoy. Greg, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with you today, man. All right. Always a pleasure, dude. Yeah, man. So for people who might not be familiar with you, or maybe they have not heard of the glorious house of cats and lats over there on uh, Salisbury, would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are and what you do? Hi, my name is Greg. I'm a Sagittarius. I enjoy treating patients uh, in my outpatient outfit. Uh, Currently in hospital-based outpatient it's pretty low stress. Uh, I was definitely looking for something like that after my previous uh, place of employment, which was a bit of a mill. Uh, but I do, you know, outside of my typical place, uh, take a look at and treat some power based power based athletes and strength athletes. Um, been a PT for about ten years now. Uh, originally from across the Bay Bridge, from Laurel, Maryland, went to University of Maryland. College Park for undergrad, then UMES for uh, PT school. Uh, got into it mainly because my interests uh, after undergrad, I became a personal trainer, then a personal training director uh, with Bally Total Fitness. Yay, Bally's now. Um, and I you know, just felt like the fitness industry just wasn't for me. Uh, doing a little kind of write down on a list session, pros and cons and interests. Uh, physical therapy was kind of like the thing that made the most sense. So while my wife went to OT school for three years between 2006 and 2009 at Towson, I got prereqs taken care of, did a lot of observation, did a little, the whole nine yards in that regard, and then went in 2010. Uh, while I was in PT school, um, well, prior to PT school, I competed and trained in Muay Thai kickboxing. And then in the middle of PT school, I started to do strongmans. And I've done that for about 12 years now. I uh, have done relatively well uh, in the amateur circuit. Uh, but as I get older, uh, priorities change. So, you know, my job is taking a little bit more of a focus, as, you know, as well as my family rather than competing. But I still try and do relatively well. Yeah, I would say you've been pretty well accomplished in that front from what I remember. I believe you uh, kind of shared your story with me at one point, and you mentioned something about being Maryland's strongest man for one or two years. And at one point, you were Delaware's strongest man, which was ironic because you've lived in Maryland your entire life. Is that correct? Yeah, baby. Maryland for life. Uh I won the middleweight title for Maryland Strongest Man in 2013, won the heavyweight title for Maryland Strongest Man in 2017, won the middleweight title for Delaware Strongest Man in 2016, and then I was Delaware Strongest Man, or at least I won the overall title 
in 2017, 2018. Man, that's uh, that's quite a backstory and quite a well-versed array of different physical fitness type things, I'll say, from physical therapy to personal training to strongman to martial arts. You're kind of the person who's done it all in one way or the other, I think, Greg. And um, you were kind of my go-to person when I just kind of destroyed my back couple months ago i i I guess i wouldn't say the word destroy but um it it was definitely so um you know talking about that a little bit here uh i i you you kind of looked at my deadlift form and you kind of said you know shoulders might have been a little too far forward grip might have been a little bit too far uh forward as well we had a little posterior tilt that might have preceded everything um, so you're able to kind of deconstruct, uh, my setup pretty well. Um, when it comes to the deadlift, I feel like that's the exercise that most people get concerned about from, oh, it's going to mess up your back or, you know, you're going to get hurt doing this or that sort of thing. Um, first off, why do you think that is? And second off, what should we be doing to make sure we don't end up like myself, uh, messing up your back while deadlifting? Well, so let me preface this. Anytime there's an injury, deadlift, squat, whatever's, if something gets hurt, you know, from a conceptual standpoint, the tissue that was hurt was just not ready or prepared for the load that was put on it. So, I mean, deadlift, squat, bench, anything. Uh, usually there is a period of under recovery. Um, or if you're just trying to get out that last rep, maybe in your brain it felt, you know, I can do this, but your body had, you know, other ideations uh, along those lines. But yeah. So with the deadlift, I don't know if it's a matter of social media or just the proliferation of being able to post videos of lifting or gym bros or whatever the case may be, but you know, you'll you'll see a lot of quote unquote bad deadlift form uh, on the internets. And usually what that entails is rounded backs and hitching and, you know, ego lifting and things like that. Now, over the course of, you know, the past couple of years, can you lift with a rounded spine on a deadlift? Yes. Um, Technically it's fine. Can you, you know, based upon different leverages, can you do the classic perfect deadlift? You don't need to. You, you have to do what feels best for you. And your body will adapt. Now, having said that, there are certain principles that you really want to look at when it comes to the deadlift, like a proper hip hinge, uh, a proper initial pull off the ground. You want to make sure that your setup is, is, is you know as good as it can be to make the rest of the lift easier, stuff like that. So deadlifting gets a bad rap. Mainly because when people get hurt on a deadlift, it's usually their low back. Uh, sorry, Dan. <laughs> but it's that. And then people see, oh, you had a curved back. You can't do that. Deadlifts will hurt. I actually, oh, God, I remember, is either you telling me about a patient or another colleague of mine? They had a younger kid, like 14 or 15, and his doctor, he hurt his back training uh, in the high school weight room. And the doctor told him that he'll never deadlift again. Like, so if you got to pick up something 
with some weight off the ground? Are you not allowed to do that? Like, hey, mom, I got to, can I help you with this laundry? Oh, pick up that laundry basket. Oh, no, that's a deadlift, can't do it. Uh, I'm an invalid for the rest of my life. Um, there are a lot of misconceptions, a lot of fear mongering, a lot of fear avoidance, a lot of pain avoidance. And it, it's, it's a hard exercise if you really want it to be, or if you need it to be because of, you know, something that you are aiming towards like competition or you just want to see what you got, things like that. But there are safe, effective ways to do that. I like it. I like it. Yeah. That's a great start here, Greg. I agree. There's certainly a safe way to do it. And um, at the time, I thought I was going the safer route by using a trap bar. Um, I've been told the trap bar is the more spinal friendly way to deadlift uh, by a number of people. And by this, uh, another group of people, I've also heard that they always jack up their back while trap bar deadlifting. So What's your take on the trap bar deadlift and other deadlift variations? And where do you kind of see people gravitate towards one or another? All right. So the big thing with trap bar deadlifting is that your hands are neutral. You can get your hands more in line with your center of gravity. So hypothetically, it should be safer on your back or put less stress on your back rather than a barbell deadlift where the bar is in front of your shins it's in front of your body your hands are in front of your shins um when you lock out your hands will be in front of your body by default stuff like that the trap bar deadlift if everything is typically where it's supposed to be uh, can be more of a quad dominant um, lift if you're not super keen on uh the hip hinge you can make a more quad dominant exercise should you need it or want it to be. Usually folks will lift with the elevated handles, um, which will put you in a slightly less uh, lumbar flexion starting position. So then that makes people feel a little bit better. Even if you use the handles in line with the loading pins, um, usually folks can get into more of an upright position based upon the grip neutral grip in line with the center of gravity. Um, and just inherently people think that it is safer. Now, having said that, what will happen is because people think the trap bar deadlift is safer, let's jack that weight up. Let's jack some weight up. So then people typically will get hurt on the trap bar deadlift going heavier than they may, you know, they should. Sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> Just, just constantly but, coming at me today. <laughs> um, but you know that that's usually what happens. So, no matter what happens, that's why I preface you know this this whole diatribe with what I believe injury is, and that's just tissues aren't ready for the load, whether it's under recovery or whatever the case may be. Um, you just tax those muscles a little bit too much, or whomever it is, and you get hurt. And that's going to be true on trap bar deadlift versus an RDL, versus a straight bar deadlift, versus a front handle car deadlift, versus a side handle car deadlift. It, it, it's going to happen. Yeah, you've mentioned this concept of making sure that tissue is ready to accept the load that you apply to it. How do you go yeah. about doing that in relation to the deadlift? Do you have like a certain warm-up routine that you follow? Are you kind of going more like the stereotypical Instagram glute girl and just hammering away at band walks for a while to warm up or, um, I mean, it's three sets of 10 clamshells, right? You just lay on your side and 
that, that's what I heard, but um, I, I wanted to confirm it with you first. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, I'll add a little bit to that too. Where's the line as far as like the loading behind the deadlift? Like, could I go to the gym and jack up the weight two, three times a week, kind of like I do for like arm farm days? Or should I only lift heavy once a week? Or how should I go about like loading and monitoring load for the deadlift? All right. So it is, in my opinion, it is in my opinion, let me preface that um, you should deload once every three to four weeks. All right. And then I'm a big proponent of RPE, mainly because in strongman, uh, rarely you occasionally do, but you rarely have a one rep max event out of five or six events, five or six events. Usually it's a max repetition or max. Yeah. Max rep, max fastest load, uh, fastest speed or something like that. So going off of percentages for strongman can be a little bit tricky if you're not used to it. So typically I like to go off of RPE, um, depending upon if you are like, let's say you are going into a competition um, and there's max reps and max or fastest uh, distance gone or something like that. Usually it'll be how you feel. You'll know the exact weight that you have to lift. Like you'll know that the yoke is 800 pounds and I need to go 60 feet with it. I know that. For my weight class, uh, it'll be a straight bar deadlift with the deadlift bar, uh, uncalibrated weights, 675, max reps, 75 seconds. So you can kind of base your training off of those parameters rather than the one rep max. Now, having said that, I like to you know start with an accumulation block. I mean, if we're looking at like pre-contest versus off-season, but like off-season, if I'm just trying to get stronger, now that I've wasted a whole lot of time talking circles, you know, you have your medium, medium load, medium rep, you're just trying to accumulate, you go a little bit heavier than that, as the weight goes up, your reps go down. If you want to do that for one more week where you're accumulating stress and weight and decreasing the uh, reps, so, so be it. And then you deload after the third or fourth week, depending upon how you feel, how the weights are moving, things like that. Um, Training, going heavy, gaining strength, rarely, rarely is it ever linear. You're going to have a wave pattern, and then you're going to have to learn how to peak. So typically, every, ideally, every 8 to 10 or 10 to 12 weeks, so you can retest the one or at max or retest whatever event with the parameters that you're looking at, um, and then rebuild from there. So you mean to tell me my days of maxing every other week from college are behind me now? ER or PR, man, right? That, that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah, but we got a little dangerously close to that, uh, oddly <laughs> enough. There. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting because I feel like when we're in high school or even college for that matter, we can generally train however we want and the body just recovers magically somehow. Oh, like, that, that's because when we were teenagers, especially going, you know, senior year, all the testosterone for us guys was, we were, we were ready to rock our, you know, your peak right there. Uh, I'm almost 40 and uh, get off my lawn. I mean, that, that's about where I am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely feel like I've physically like hit that peak and we might start and be starting to come down the slippery slope on the other side, unfortunately. Um, but no, I like that approach and I like the kind of 
I, I wouldn't call it periodized, but I'm going to use the term periodized approach to deadlifting, how you're using RPE to monitor and you're kind of progressing up to certain weight at a certain point and then coming back down and resetting uh, every so often. And yeah, um, so every, yeah, every time you deload within a 10 to 12 week period, your starting point is a little bit higher than, you know, your starting point three weeks ago. And then when you feel like you're ready to peak, uh, then you can retest, but usually that shouldn't be until about 10 or 12 weeks. Yeah. And I like that it's intentional and thought out and planned as opposed to, Hey, we're just going to walk in the gym today and we're going to deadlift. And hey man, I feel no... great. Let me max out. Yeah. Yeah. You have no <laughs> idea what weights you're going to be using, uh, what rep schemes you're using, that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like there are times to just grip it and rip it. But if you really have a end goal in mind, you kind of need a plan to get there. So if you're competing yes. on strongman circuit, if you're going powerlifting, that sort of thing, then you want some kind of plan to build up your deadlift over time instead of just grip it and rip it and see where you land. Yeah. The other thing also is the way that I'll kind of approach my deadlift or you know, if someone was asking me about programming for deadlifting or whatever the case may be, is that if we look at whatever the event is for the deadlift. So typically with strongman competitions, uh, there's an overhead press event like a clean and press. There's a deadlift event. There's a loading event. Um, there is a carrying event. And then usually there's like a wild card, you know, like max hold or whatever the case may be. And then the deadlift event is, you know, whether max reps of the straight bar, 18 inches from the ground with an axle, car deadlift, which is my personal favorite, uh, and whatever the case may be. So if we just say, let's say, you know, barbell deadlift from the floor, right? That on my deadlift day is my primary exercise, right? So I'm going to focus a whole lot on that. Uh, I personally, at my age and ability level, I'll only work up to about one top set. Whatever that is, one top set, maybe two at most. And then after that, I have a primary assistance lift, a secondary assistance lift, a tertiary assistance lift if I really feel good and strong about it, and then some, some core work. So your primary assistance lift should be something that directly uh, works on the biggest glaring weakness of your primary lift. So for me and my deadlift, uh, historically, if I fail, I fail right at my patellar tendons. Uh, I'll get the death shakes, I'll start convulsing, and I can't get it any further, and I have to put it down. So for me, typically, my primary assistance lift ends up being RDLs. I'll stop right before uh, my, or right, you know, past my patellar tendon, so like maybe at the tibial tuberosity or just below that, and then that'll be my end range for the RDL. And then if you're slow off the ground, uh, if you're, you know, your speed off the ground isn't good or your starting position is not the best or whatever the case may be, or if you feel like you need more quadriceps, deficit deadlifts are great. Because by the time, whatever deficit you typically pull from, whether it's one inch, two inch, I wouldn't go much farther than two and a half or three inches. Uh, by the time you get into where you would normally sit up from the ground, you're going to be in the most optimal pulling position and your body will eventually remember that uh, if you do it intentionally. So there are different ways to go about it. Tertiary work, 
you know, hey, maybe my hamstrings are weak. Let me do some GHRs. Or, hey, my hamstrings are weak. Let me do some seated banded uh, hamstring curls. Or if my quads are weak, I'll do something for that. Or I'll try and do something higher rep movement-based to incorporate something that's weak, but also get my heart rate up. Whatever your goals are for that event. I noticed you mentioned a lot of leg and lower extremity dominant movements there. Uh, you didn't mention anything about the back, and I've heard this debated quite often. Is the deadlift a back exercise or a leg exercise? What's your take on that? Uh, it can be both if you really want it to be, and I'm not being pretentious or facetious about it. If you want to focus on the deadlift by itself in a vacuum, I, I would put it as the first exercise of my back deck, if I were to have a back deck. Uh, your lumbar spine, your lumbar multifidus, longissimus, all of the fun back muscles, they all have to isometrically contract with many other deep core uh, muscles in order to stabilize your spine, in order for you to lift this weight off the ground. So yeah, I mean, you, you can make it um, a back exercise if you want it to be. Uh, doing high rep or higher rep with heavier weights uh, in competition and training, like my lats are sore. The next day, my lats are sore. Uh, just keeping them, you know, as contracted as possible to keep thoracolumbar uh, tightness paramount, my lats are sore. But is, is it a great lat exercise? Not really. Um, if you want to do deadlift twice a week, uh, you could put in a deadlift or a deadlift variation in your back day. But is it a back primary exercise? No. Is the hip hinge primary exercise? I would say yes, personally. Yeah, and not to mention, it's a very CNS fatiguing exercise oh. too, because as you mentioned, you've got a lot of different muscles that kind of need to coordinate together and work together for this one movement to occur. So oh, yeah. it, it's certainly the kind of thing where I'd imagine in high volumes, it's pretty easy to see form breakdown. And I think that's one of many reasons you don't see the full from the floor deadlift popping up in very many bodybuilding type programs. You know, you see a lot more machine based or even like some squat variations, but I very rarely see deadlift from the floor in like a bodybuilding type training program. From my understanding with other bodybuilders that I've talked to over the years, uh, the juice may not be worth the squeeze in terms of deadlifts, if deadlifts from the floor. Like if we're just talking about conventional deadlift from the ground with a power bar, sometimes the juice is not worth the squeeze in terms of high rep or moderate weight, high rep in order to build, you know, like low back thickness. If you're, if you're really trying to get that Christmas tree, you know, look uh, from a bodybuilder or work on glute development, uh, there are better exercises for that. Um, but, you know, if you compete in something that has deadlift, then you really need to deadlift. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What's your take on putting the deadlift into like a PT rehab program? Like say I've got an athlete if that you, I'm if working you have with. Knee pain, if, you, if you have a script for knee pain, if you have a script for hip pain, if you have a script for low back pain, hell, you could even make the, the argument for shoulder pain. You should do some sort of deadlift. It, it's yeah. all involved. Uh, and what is it that we have to do uh, in our ADLs, right? We have to pick stuff off the ground, which is a deadlift by definition. 
Uh, it's just, it's a different kind of deadlift. You have to really work on hip hinging, squatting to a degree, things like that. So yeah, you, you should be deadlifting in one way, shape or form with any of that. Definitely. And I think the variety is where it gets interesting is, you know, yeah. I'm probably not going to worry about three rep max straight bar deadlift for majority of the athletes that I work with, but am I going to mess around with the RDL or a kickstand RDL or a single leg RDL and many variations of them? Absolutely. I am. And oh. I think that's the other piece too, is understanding what the person in front of you needs, because you know, the person in front of you might need to straight bar deadlift for competition. So you loading them up with trap bar may or may not be advantageous to them. And I'd also imagine that if you are going straight barring your training approach, adjusting the setup to the person in front of you is going to be essential as well. How wide do they like their hand grip? How wide do they like their feet position? Do they like their feet turned out? Do they like them straight forward? And I'd imagine that that's an area where making small adjustments can make a huge difference for someone. Oh, yeah. Just in terms of leverages now, I mean, like, would I have, like, let's say a baseball pitcher, deadlift, straight bar, 3RM? Yeah, certainly not. There, there's really not a need for that. Um, is there uh, a need for lower extremity, quad hip, glute strengthening? Yes, certainly. Uh, there's just different ways about it. Um, in terms of the deadlift and what you prefer, um, the the age-old question, do you go sumo, do you go conventional? Uh, sumo is not cheating. As many, you know, as much as people want to say, it, is sumo easier? Not necessarily. I've tried it. I suck at it. Uh, it depends on your leverages. It depends on adductor uh, stability and strength. If your adductors are not good, like mine, uh, sumo deadlift feels miserable. If you don't have the flexibility to wedge yourself in there with a wide stance, sumo uh, ends up being a wide stance uh, RDL for some people. Uh, so it just depends on certain things that you feel comfortable with, certain things that your leverages work well with, uh, and so forth. Um for strongman specifically, sumo is actually illegal, so we can't do sumo deadlift in any event. There are some caveats where the deadlift, like a Ukrainian deadlift, you're lifting uh, a loading pin, and by default that ends up looking like a sumo deadlift. Or if you do a lever deadlift like I did at uh, United States Strongman Nationals in Dallas, your hands are kind of, you know, inside your knees, so technically it could be a sumo deadlift, but if it's any other implement, can't do sumo. So you have to get really good at conventional, whether you like it or not. Um, but if you have a choice, try both. If you're a wide squatter, then sumo might be good for you if you have the long arms long enough for it. Um, if you have really long arms and feel good about getting down there in the conventional sense, then, you know, go for it. The only way to figure it out is to try both and see what you like. And then kind of go nitpick form wise from there what kind of cues do you like to help perfect the form on the deadlift are you uh you know push the uh car door closed with your hips kind of guy are you a uh... so the first order of business is that you <laughs> you want your arms as long as, as possible you, you do not want any kind of flexion uh especially if you go mixed grip on the deadlift um if you go the slightly flexed arm you, you could you know 
I would say puts you at a higher risk of a distal bicep tendon tear. Uh, but you know, that's neither here or there. So long as arm as possible, right? Pick something that feels comfortable foot position wise. I personally like to have my feet slightly pointed out just because it helps me activate my glute medius and hip external rotators a little bit better, but whatever works out for you. Whatever your foot position is, if you're going to go conventional, whatever your foot position is, get your arms to the sides of your thighs and grip the bar. Your forearms should be in direct contact with the sides of your thighs and the sides of your knees. If you go any wider than that, you're going to have to get lower in your initial position and uh, you're going to have a longer pull. So you want your hands as inside as they can be, especially for conventional. Um, if you are a sumo, drop your arms at your side, whatever you know gravity it is, go straight down. Just go straight down, arms at your side. Make sure that you're gripping some knurling and then get in position. Whatever the position that you pick, conventional or deadlift, your shoulders before you initiate your initial pull should be directly above the um, bar. You want some sort of, in the conventional, some sort of forward shin position. For me and my leverages, the bar ends up being right, uh, I want to say, at the tongue of my shoes. Then that helps me get into the best position possible. As you lower yourself or you wedge yourself into the starting position, you should feel some sort of tension somewhere in your lower body. Uh, for sumo, you're going to feel a big tightening tension in your adductors and a little bit in your hips. For conventional, you should feel a tension tightening of the glutes, proximal hamstrings, and maybe a little bit of the lumbar spine or the paraspinals there. As you initiate your lift, you want to make sure that, A, you do not go quad dominant and lock your knees out before the bar gets past your knees, because otherwise you lock your knees out and you end up doing an RDL the rest of the way. So you lose your quadriceps for the rest of the lift. Um, as soon as the bar gets past your patellas and gets to the top of your knees, your hips should be driving forward and hip extension is paramount. Arms at your side, lock the bar out, shoulders back, hips all the way through. And then that also is important for the sumo deadlift. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And um, it's funny you mentioned the point about locking the knees out early because I feel like that's a common thing I see a lot of people doing is they'll lock their knees and then they just kind of like use their spine to lift it the rest of the way. Um, yeah. Some people, based on their leverages, it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. Like if you have shorter arms, I mean, you're going to start a little bit more, you know, with a higher hip position. And that can happen as long as you realize that. And if that is the most efficient way for you to lift, then so be it. That's what it's going to be. Are you going to be a really, really high level deadlifter? Probably not. Um, there are certain people that are predisposed to being really good at deadlifting. Uh, I happen to maybe be one of them because I have longer arms and my torso and my legs seem to be just right. I suck at squatting. So, uh, but I'm good at deadlifting. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. You're kind of built for more of that hip extension pattern there. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of things do you typically see from a PT rehab side of things? If people are injured during the deadlift, what kind of things are you looking at on exam? And what kind of things are you considering in their long-term rehab there? Uh, probably the first thing is your avoidance going into a hip hinge. So if you second guess yourself getting down there or initiating a pull, um, the psychological effect or the, is this going to hurt will probably put you in a worse position than if you just confidently went into it. That's number one. Number two is if it is painful to get down, you know, to a bar on the ground, you always want to start at a higher height and you work your way down, you work your way down into position. Even though you hurt yourself deadlifting, if it's from the floor, there are different ways that you can modify that deadlift or that load, that hip hinge, uh, and then work your way back into your original position that you need to get at. It's just a matter of, A, working around wherever it is that you're hurting, working around um, potential weaknesses that I have kind of identified or that you have identified as a patient. Um, that you are lacking and you you know probably led to part of your injury and we can work on that separately then put it all back together or something like that um if deadlifting or if any exercise if that's something that you really like you really love to do like i love deadlifting it's my favorite activity it's my favorite thing um i think it's just sheer at times sheer brute strength and from a psychological standpoint i love that um, and if I couldn't deadlift, uh, I'd be pretty sad, but, you know, so it'd be something that I would definitely want to get back to doing if I hurt myself and I have tweaked myself, uh, deadlifting before I'm not immune to that either, but you know, you, you do what you can with what you have, however you can. So if the tissue just wasn't ready for that load, well, you have to build it back up in the smartest way possible. Usually it's just don't do something too soon too fast that's usually what ends up happening in terms of rehab yeah no i like that i like that a lot and you really have to i think think outside of the box because i think most people when they start thinking about like getting back to deadlift and building it back up they just focus on that same pattern of the hip hinge and locking out at the top and they hammer away at the sagittal plane but I found, at least for myself, I found a lot of value in kind of going single leg with a lot of different things, hitting some multi-planar work, finding a bunch of things that I really, really suck at, and really addressing those pretty hard and heavy. So, for example, um, my thoracic mobility is trash. My hip mobility, especially in rotation, is terrible. Um, and as a result of You know, what I did there, I had a little bit more of like a left-sided neural kind of thing. And I was unable to uh, heel walk for about six weeks. And my left hamstring felt significantly weaker than my right hamstring for about six weeks. Um, So I think that kind of taking the time to, you know, address some of those underlying deficits from a single leg, you know, left versus right standpoint, because when some of those neural things can be involved, we can certainly develop some, you know, I'll use the term imbalances very quick. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that all imbalances are bad or that sort of thing. I think some of them are adaptive in response to activity. 
However, if we want to be very good at a bilateral, you know, compound movement like the deadlift, I think having some good symmetry between our left and right sides is probably a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, if anything, it can't hurt, right? Yep. <laughs> Definitely. Now, unilateral work, I think, is very important. Um, like if you're constantly, you know, let's just say shifting to one side because one side's stronger. Uh, chances are, if you made the not so strong side stronger, you could probably end up lifting more. I mean, usually that's the case. If you can't get into an optimal position for lifting, like, for example, there is a time where my uh, deadlift and some of my other lifts were completely stalling because I thought that putting on weight, you know, more mass moves mass, right? So the bigger you are, the stronger you are, the, the more weight that you can lift. Well, the problem with that is that it changes your leverages. So you can't get into the same optimal position that you were using 20 pounds ago. So it changes things. So then you stress other uh, muscles that you didn't even know you had. You stress other structures that probably were ignored or didn't have to take on a larger role when you were 20 or 30 pounds lighter. But now that you can't get into that same position, uh, those smaller not so work muscles take a bigger role and you hurt a little bit more. So it takes time to adapt to that, but Hey, I got to get stronger. Let me jack some more weight up and then too much, too fast, too soon for those muscles that aren't ready for it. Ow. Ow happens. You mentioned before that you do a lot of core work to help assist in the deadlift. What kind of, it may core not look like it, but I try <laughs> <laughs> what kind of, uh, what kind of core accessory moves do you like? And, um, do you have anything in particular that you'd like to use to load some of those smaller lumbar stability muscles in particular? Um, well, it all kind of sucks. I'll be honest, but <laughs> front carries, front carries, zercher, anything like zercher holds, um, front carries just loading that posterior chain a lot and moving with it you have to really stay as tight as possible with the front carry whether it's you know keg sandbag barbell doesn't matter i'd imagine um, you're not talking about like kegs for the saturday night party uh downtown there hey man uh, i've used those half kegs but they're usually you know filled with water sand and gravel did you know actually did you know that a half keg that is completely full of water weighs can weigh up to 180 pounds. So really? yes, you can use that for exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I, on my way to the party and getting my core work in at the same time. That's right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I do like side planks, uh, side planks mainly because sometimes my shoulders aren't the best. Uh, it does involve some sort of shoulder stability with that as well. Uh, from the bodybuilding kind of thing, hanging knee raises are a personal favorite. Um, but typically core work for strongman, hard isometrics, usually front carries are involved, usually uh, good mornings, actually, are very hard and very worthwhile for me for a hip hinge as well. But yeah, front loading just sucks, but it's yeah. helpful, but it sucks. Certainly sounds like it. Um, with the good morning, you, you view that as more of a lower back loader than a hip extension glute loader, correct? Uh, it can be, yeah. Okay. 
I've, I've seen this debated a lot lately too on is the good morning a glute exercise or a lower back exercise and you get these people argument arguing over the mechanics and the physics and most of the time I feel like the answer kind of lies somewhere in the middle it's somewhere in the middle you're, you're gonna end up using both whatever the weaker part of it is or the way that you do it or how much lumbar flexion you decide to impart it'll bias it towards more glute or more low back you can do whatever you want with it um actually something especially for strongman for like yoke and heavy axial loads um if you've ever done a thoracic biased good morning where you're kind of rounding out your lumbar or not lumbar thoracic spine and then coming into extension that is a big weak point for a lot of folks for front carries front loading pulls things like that 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 would definitely be mainly thoracic paraspinals but um for the good morning itself traditionally uh you can you can do it for both if you really want to interesting i like that i like that approach we might as well have a little fun what's your what's your favorite song to deadlift to greg uh my heart will go on by celine dion because i'll never let you go jack until i do <laughs> oh man and what's what's your uh one rep max best all time on the desk all time unsuited 815 um best all time suited 855 so that's a lot of weight dude um it's my bench it's okay. bench plus it's squat better. combined for me huh? that that's more than my bench plus my squat combined dude i don't even lift what are you talking about <laughs> The, the, which way is the gym again? Uh, I think it's uh, that way. I think, I think it's that way. Oh, man. And you already mentioned that your favorite variation of the deadlift is the car deadlift, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, car deadlift is easily the favorite deadlift variation. Uh, I've done a car carry. I've done a car deadlift. I've done a car squat. It's all fun. What's the least favorite? The least favorite? Oh, God. Uh, probably Conan's wheel. Uh, that is probably my least favorite event of all time. Conan's wheel or um, no Conan's wheel. And what's the best pre-deadlift routine? Are you a, you know, smelling salt and chalk up kind of guy? Are you a wrist oh, wrap no. kind of guy? What, what What's no. your pre-deadlift routine here? <laughs> so uh, I don't like to use smelling salt. Uh, they actually take me out of my mental zone that I like to be in. The, there's enough... There is well enough uh, self-loathing in me to get me hyped up for a deadlift. I really don't need uh, smelling salts. But yeah, it, it actually just throws me off. In the strongman, uh, 9.5 times out of 10, we're allowed to use deadlift or like lifting straps. So I'll do that. Um, get synced in. Go through. Uh, uh, this will make me sound old. Mental Rolodex of things uh, to get myself ready. Uh, whether it's people doubting me or things I need to do or just mm -hmm. telling myself that I need to prove something to myself. Um, whatever the flavor of the month is to kind of get the juices going, I'll do that. Uh, and then lift. Take a deep breath, lift. Grip it and rip it. I like it. And um, I think we've gotten you to the point now where you're posting your lifts on Instagram too, which I'm thrilled about. On the well, IG, it's all for the gram, dude. Yeah, welcome to the 21st century, Greg. Um, <laughs> one last thing before we wrap up. You mentioned about the straps and the grip. 
Um, I've noticed for a lot of people, they complain about their grip giving first and they'll use the straps to kind of assist them. But say you are in a competition where the strap is not allowed. Do you have any kind of go-to grip strengthening things that you like for the deadlift? If that's kind of the weak point for people. Um, isometric holds. Oh God. Isometric holds. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to have to do it. I mean, personally, uh, the way that I grip, like if, if we're just talking about a barbell, right? Power bar, deadlift bar, I will get a really good skin lock into with my hand. I won't just grip it. I will get the bar here, kind of use a, you know, where my calluses are uh, at the right proximal to my MCP joints. Use that to fill up some space and then grip it, sink in. Uh, it's a whole lot more painful, but it's more of a secure grip, uh, one that I don't have to grip it as hard. Uh, but there's a higher probability that I'm going to tear a callus if I have taken care of you know, the skin. Um, but max holds. I don't care if it's with farmer's handles or dumbbells or whatever the case may be. Holds for time. Holds for time are great. Um, another thing that I would do, yeah, farmer's walks. That's what I would do. That's what I did for a long time just to get grip strength up was farmer's walks. Oddly enough, also rice grabs. I, I was going to ask about the five gallon bucket of rice there. Hey man, I'm Asian. I'm Filipino. We love our rice. I love gripping it too, man. Oh man. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just glad he didn't say 10 pound fat grips, dumbbell curls. No, no, that, that that's not even enough to really elicit. If you're if you're deadlifting something relatively heavy, and you are a person of decent size, and you're deadlifting I don't know, 250 plus pounds, fat grips with 10 pound dumbbells are a waste of time. That would be that would be as much help as uh running foul poles for baseball players <laughs> oh man you uh you must have been paying attention to the podcast lately or something greg oh, uh, yeah then then i saw it with my son's uh fall ball little league team the, the coach started with uh foul pole runs and i oh, i almost lost it dude it was rough <laughs> oh not, man. not his travel team his uh his fall ball little league team first thing as soon as warm-ups were done they ran fought foul poles five times and I thought I was going to blow a gasket. Man, Eric Degatti, if he's listening, he's going to be rolling <laughs> over up there in uh, New Jersey here in that. Uh, or the, the rage gauge was full. <laughs> Man, uh, as we start to wrap up here, Greg, I feel like we covered a lot of different things relating to the deadlift from where it can go wrong, to set up the programming considerations and so much more. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything we didn't quite get to today? Uh, to quote John Paul, uh, there is uh, there is no reason to be alive if you cannot deadlift. Right, deadlifting is super awesome. I think it's probably the greatest exercise known to mankind. I'm biased because I'm good at it, so you know I'll put it that. But now, now, in in all seriousness, don't be afraid of deadlifting. It, it gets a bad rap because people do it improperly, not necessarily form, but trying to ego lift and then they get hurt. Uh, then they go to their doctor that may not lift or train or whatever. And then they say, give it two weeks or give it four weeks and never deadlift again. And, you know, you get a lot of fear mongering around one specific, very useful 
a very robust exercise. Uh, you just need to learn how to do it, do it properly under the correct parameters for what it is that you need to do in either your daily life or in competition. It sounds like the next time I'm looking to, uh, you know, set up something with a doctor, my first question should actually be, do you even lift, bro? I mean, I don't. I don't even lift, but <laughs> that's probably why I treat so many strength athletes. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, for people who want to find out more about you or check you out on the gram, where can they find you at? Uh, if they want to check me out uh, on the gram, see what I did there. I Cats and lats.pt. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, so punny, Greg. So punny. But yeah, cats and lats.pt on Instagram, or you can just find me on Facebook. I'm pretty sure there are no other Greg and Essentios with cats and as their uh, you know, profile stuff. So it's all good. We'll have to uh, conduct some research and find out if there are any other Greg Innocencios out there who put cats in their profile picture. We'll uh, we'll we'll be up to date with the study results here soon. <laughs> yes, um, randomized control trial on that one. Meta yeah. meta analysis. Uh, double blinded, of course. That's right. That is correct. Double blinded, looking through pictures on Facebook. That's that's how it works. Um, Greg, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Really appreciate your time and for your continued help and support when it comes to everything relating to the deadlift. Yeah, man. Anytime. Hey, everyone. I want to take a second and tell you all about Ali RX. Ali RX is a at-home food sensitivity and gut health testing panel. You order online and then receive and complete your test at home for food sensitivities. You then receive a custom report online through your member portal and then receive personalized recipes and supplements that are catered to you based on your food sensitivities. If this is something that interests you, you can check out the link and description in my bio and you can use the coupon code capital D, capital B, R-A-U-N, capital R X. So D Braun R X at checkout to save yourself 20%. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.